grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. Happy New Year! It's Joe Sparrow here and I'd like to welcome you to 2022 and our third season of Adopt Perspective podcast, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. We have a cracker of a season lined up for you and we're kicking off with two episodes that I am so excited to bring to you. So let's get started. In 1993, a book was released that turned the fairy tale narrative of adoption on its head and revolutionized the way that we think about it. Its author wasn't the first to explore the effects of early infant separation from their mother and subsequent adoption. However, in my opinion, she was the first to name and communicate it in a way that was profoundly digestible and accessible. And for me, that is the greatest feature of her work. I'm speaking, of course, about Nancy Verrier and her seminal book, The Primal Wound, Understanding the Adopted Child. The book applies information about pre- and perinatal psychology, attachment, bonding and loss, and clarifies the effects of separation from the mother on adopted children. For myself and for many other adopted people who have read the book, it felt like the first time our pain and grief were heard and acknowledged. It validated our feelings and provided possible explanations for our behaviour. Nancy Verrier is a former teacher, a psychotherapist, author and lecturer. She holds a master's degree in clinical psychology and researched in the area of adoption. The Primal Wound received two awards, has been reprinted many times and in seven languages. Nancy followed up with a second book in 2003, Coming Home to Self, The Adopted Child Grows Up to take adoptees and those in relationships with them to the next step in healing. Over the next two episodes, we'll be deep diving into Nancy's research and both books. Welcome to Adopt Perspective, Nancy Verrier. Thank you very much. I appreciate you inviting me. Nancy, I know you are so busy, so I just want to thank you so much for giving us the time today for what will be, for many, a revisit of your work. And for others, it's going to be the very first time they've heard about it. Okay, well, I'm very glad to be able to take part in, in what you're doing. I always enjoy these, um, these, these kind of educational things about adoption. And um, I know you came to Australia a couple of times, didn't you? And even to Brisbane. I think three where times, recording. yeah, three times. And one time I went all the way across the country. Oh, wow, that would have been a I long trip. Because Perth. Perth is a yes. far end. Right? Yeah, it's a long and way away. I've, I've only been there once myself. <laughs> then I flew to um New Zealand. Yep. Auckland. Yes. And no one's flying anywhere anymore. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
it was funny too because I think I was closer to to uh, California when I was in in uh, Queensland or where, wherever that was. Yes, uh, yeah, Perth. <laughs> in Perth, yeah, you would have been. You would absolutely because then been. I flew, yeah. I think six hours or something to get to Auckland, and then, then I had to go all the way across. Oh anyway, my goodness! Who organized was... your travel? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sometimes we do it on the fly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you say, "Oh, you're coming this way." You know, why don't you just come here? Anyway. Okay, let's get down to it. We've got so much to talk about, so let's get started. Um, So in my introduction, I briefly spoke about your qualifications and career, but I wondered if you could tell us in your own words how it is that you came to be interested in researching the psychological impacts of adoption on adoptees. Well, for one thing, I have an adoptee, Mm -hmm. and um, I've always been interested, and I have have both an adopted child and a biological child. And I've always been interested in the ways in which they they interact with me, you know, and um, and also my my bio, my adopted daughter also has her birth mother in her life, so I'm I was very interested in that too because I thought that was a really when I gave birth to my to my second daughter, which was when my first daughter was two years old, I told myself that that my first daughter my adopted daughter would need to meet her mother you know i just felt that that was very important and so that's what we did i mean it was many years later but but um that was and so we all know each other and that's all fine now so yes yeah um and before it was a book the primal wound was a master's thesis so i thought before we get into the outcomes of that you explore in um, the book. What can you tell us about your research methods? Mainly it was interviews, interviews with adoptees. Yeah. And um, because, and many of them that I interviewed had never talked about adoption before. Mm. So it was the first time they really opened up and talked about it. And it seemed like a real relief to them in a way because they hadn't done that. And they were like, I think that they were excited that somebody was, interested in it and um so that was that was mainly the way I did you know and then of course I I met with with different people and um with professionals and with uh birth mothers and with adoptive parents too just getting mainly firsthand knowledge of what it was like for them in each each part of the the triad yeah so um, and then, of course, you know, the more I got interested in it, the more I, the more I searched, researched it. And I forget, I don't remember the names of the books that I, that I looked at, that I read, you know, to find out what other people were thinking about it. But um, I did, I did that also. Yeah. So it was, um, I just felt it was something that needed a little a little more depth to it or something as far as looking at what it was like for adopted people. Yeah. And um, so how did your thesis turn into the book? Well, the thesis, well, it went from a thesis to my also going to different adoption organizations and giving talks. And one time I gave a talk and I think I called it the primal wound legacy of the adopted child. And all the people there were either adoptees or birth mothers. 
And they said, you know, you, you need to write a book about this because we've never heard anybody say it the way you're saying it. And, and we need to have people understand it the way you're talking about it. So I thought, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll write a book. Yeah. And I think that that's what I said in my introduction. For me, that is the true gift of your book is, um, you know, people had looked at this before to some degree, but you just named it and explained it in a way that made it very, um, you just communicated in a way that really resonated with people that they could understand it easily. And, and that's what was a real gift. Yeah, well, a lot of adoptees told me that I had, I had, I said what they didn't have the words to say. Yeah. You know, yeah. And maybe they didn't think they had the permission to say. Yeah. So I'm sorry I'm so hoarse. I don't know. <clears throat> all right, you just sound all husky. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. My voice seems to be disappearing. See, well, I hope it getting, doesn't. Don't let it the day for me, so that's probably why. But <laughs> so, Nancy, you quote David Chamberlain in The Primal Wound as writing that the truth is that much of what we have traditionally believed about babies is false. We've misunderstood and underestimated their abilities. They're not simple beings, but complex and ageless, small creatures with unexpectedly large thoughts. So can you tell me what have we misunderstood about babies and their awareness, memories, bonding and emotions in the past? Well, for one thing, babies know who their mothers are. Yeah. You know, and all mammals do. You know, we are mammals. And the more I study about different mammals, the more I see that, yes, they, they know who their mothers are and they know by all their senses who she is. And so when they're given to somebody else, they know that's not that same person. And, um, and so that takes some time for them to get used to the idea that they're not going to be with that person that gave birth to them. Yeah. I mean, it's not even a thought. It's really just instinct or sense, sense, sensual feelings. Yeah. But, um, and as I say, you know, I grew up on a ranch too, and I could see that's the way it is. I mean, all those baby lambs out there, they know who their mothers are. Yeah. You know, and uh, so human babies do too. And so it's not as easy as we think it is. It's easy for us because we, we just want this little baby and we're just thrilled to death. Mm. But for them, it's a transition and sometimes very difficult. Yeah. It's, it's really a kind of trauma. And that, um, I, I think for the mothers as well. Yeah. For the that whole idea, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That whole idea was something that I really grappled with as an adoptee until I was pregnant with my second son. And any time that his older brother came around and talked to me, he would just go crazy in utero. Like he would just, I knew, I could tell he knew the voice of his brother and it just really just slammed home for me. Oh, this is true. Like we, we are bonding from, from inside. So we know if right. those people right. are disappeared at the end. Yeah. That's why I think it was when I gave birth to my second daughter that I realized that someday my first daughter is going to meet her, her first mother, mm. because I thought it was very important for her to do and it's true I mean they did she did and um, that's fine too yeah so Mayor Newman described the relationship between a mother and child during the first year of life as a dual unity in which the mother not only acts as the child's self but actually is that self 
What do we know about bonding and connections that are formed between the mother and child when they are in utero and after birth? Well, I think there is bonding there. I mean, we, I, I'm, having given birth too, I certainly felt that bonding with my, my second daughter before she was born. And as I say, I think, I think the, the child who is born knows if that's the mother that gave birth to them or not. Mm. You know, I think, I think babies are very, very, you know, they, they have all these intuitions and, and senses and all those kinds of things that tell me, tell them that this is the person, this is yeah. the person, the mother. And, and the survival so instinct too, I suppose, isn't it? Like your best chance of survival. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's all these genetic connections, you know, that you have with your biological family. Mm. And I think, I think that's why so many people, when they meet their family later in life, if they were, you know, if that wasn't the person that <clears throat> raised them, they see these things that, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's like me. That's what I do. That's familiar. Things that are familiar and I think we don't pay enough attention to genetic things that are genetic uh, familiar, familiarity mm -hmm. that, um, but, but children are, you know, they're very observant. And um, I, think, I think that all, all these babies that are um, that not kept with their first mothers, I'm sure they know it right then and there. Yeah. And they know that the person they're going to is not that person. Yeah. So the outcome, um, or one outcome of your research is the discovery of what you term the primal wound. Tell us what the primal wound is, please. Well, the primal wound is that separation between the mother that gave birth and the baby. I mean, that's primal. That's, that's, the, that's the relationship between the mother and the baby. And so the wound is having that separated, separated having them separated. Mm -hmm. and. It's always there. I mean, I talk to adoptees all the time and they, you know, it's, it's something that's, they don't always articulate it because it's been there all along. So it yeah. just seems like part of whatever, you know, but um, it's something that's there. That's always there. That, that loss of that first mother. Yeah. And what were some of the ways that um, the people you interviewed described that wound? Well, maybe a loss, just a longing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, also, as I say, you know, when you were genetically connected to somebody, you notice things that are like you. Yeah. And, um, and when you are not genetically connected, then you have to learn things. Yeah. You know, and um, the, both the mother and the child have to learn things about each other that are more instinctual when, when you're related. There's something about being related that's really quite primal as I, yes, yeah. I describe it. Yeah. And, um, and, and not being related is, it makes it a little bit more difficult. Yeah. So why are we then as a society so reluctant to acknowledge that this separation and adoption is traumatic for the child? Because we like to believe in fairy tales. I'm not kidding. I, and I think, I think in America, we're even worse than that. You know, this whole thing about, oh, you know, 
you've got this beautiful baby and isn't this baby lucky to have you for their parents and all this, that, and the other. And they, they think nothing about the loss involved. Yeah. And there's loss for everyone, you know? I mean, one time, I guess for one of the adoption groups, uh, three of us gave a talk about loss from all three sides, the adoptee, the birth mother, and the adoptive mother. All three had some kind of loss involved. Before, before you get something that's good, you have loss. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and it's just important for us to acknowledge those things because, I don't know, we like to think that everything's just wonderful, you know, and it, it isn't just wonderful. It can't, there certainly are wonderful things about the things that we do in our lives, but there are also things that are very hard. And, and loss is one of those things, I think, that we, we don't like to acknowledge. Hmm. And acknowledging the loss doesn't mean that things may not have turned out great in your adoptive no. family, but no, it's still acknowledging that it started with a loss. That's right. Yes, Ab- yeah. absolutely. Yes. Yes, they turn out wonderfully, but there's something else there. Yeah. And and it shouldn't be a secret. It shouldn't be this something that you can't talk about, that you can't discuss, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. <clears throat> so and I, I just. Yeah, go on. I know I'd acknowledge too that sometimes it doesn't work out great with adoptive families either. No, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I mean, as I say, there are certain things that when you are in a family that you're related to, there are just certain things you know about the people in that family because you have those same traits or or ways of doing things or that kind of thing and um i mean it's even more so in in, in families where there are like uh, uh triplets or you know when they have more than one child what do you call them twins i can't yeah. Twi- twins and late for you there <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah, uh, twins and triplets and so forth. I mean, they <clears throat> they sometimes can, you know, finish each other's sentences and things like that. Yeah. So it's it's about recognizing things in the person you're with that makes it easier. It just makes it easier. Yeah, yeah. And society aren't the only reluctant converts. There are adoptees who will flinch at the notion that they're wounded. And I would say that 30-year-old me and earlier was absolutely one of them. I really did flinch at the idea or the notion that I was wounded. However, the 50-year-old me concedes that she was traumatized by separation and adoption. So Mm -hmm. why do you think sometimes adoptees resist this theory? I don't think it's very well accepted in our society. You know, I don't think that they think they have permission to allow those feelings to come up and be, be acknowledged. Um, and also, you know, I mean, if you have nothing to compare it with, um, sometimes, you know, it seems just fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. But, yeah. but I do think that there's that, there is that loss because the very beginning, the tra- there is a trauma for the baby and the mother when they're separated. And I mean, I'm very convinced of that. And it doesn't mean that they can't have a wonderful life. Yeah. I think sometimes too, like acknowledging the loss, then you almost have to 
start exploring the loss. And I think for me, that seemed really scary. And so maybe I didn't even want to go there in some ways. I didn't even really want to think about it when I was younger. Yes, I think so. And as I say, there isn't a lot of permission to do that anyway. And um, there's more permission now, I think, because everybody's looking for their relatives, you know, going into all these research places and finding out who they're related to and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So there's more, more understanding about that now. Yeah. So um, we probably touched on this a little bit, but um, you write that the separation from the mother is one trauma and that is not an occurrence limited only to adopted people. Other people um, can be separated from their mother. However, in the case of adoption, the child is then placed with a family of strangers and their grief is often disenfranchised. Um, and you use a beautiful broken plate analogy in your book to describe this would you mind sharing that with us well it's it's sort of like um if you break a plate and you try to put it back together with a different broken plate it's not going to fit you know and um, it's even hard to fit back together with the original original plate Mm -hmm. but um yeah, it's, it's not going to fit. And it's sort of like that. It, there's not a fit there when, um, when people are separated like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are certain things, there are certain things that you know about yourself and that you can see in people that you're related to that you don't see in anybody else. that um, the separation from the mother is a loss does an adopted baby grieve that loss and and how can we tell I think they're confused confused by it yeah you know where's where's mom yeah and so it's hard to know how babies grieve but I do think that they feel the loss they feel her her missing and that someone else is there and it's not that the someone else isn't wonderful. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with all her senses are, are, are yearning for the same senses in the mother. And that's not what the baby's getting. Mm. Yeah. So how might the primal wound manifest in the relationships adopted people have with others? I think it, it, interferes with trust yeah. with really trusting if someone's going to stay around yeah you know if mom left anybody can leave so i think that's part of it and and just the whole idea that um you know that that relationships may be transitory that's not a, a very good feeling and of course all all children who are adopted have had that experience so I think, yeah, it's just, just that feeling of if people can leave you how, can you, how can you allow yourself to really get close to somebody? So a lot of people who are adopted will admit that they keep themselves a little bit separate just yeah. in case. Gee, that really hits home for me. I remember um, one of the things I do if I, fear a loss is I pull back from relationships sometimes 
um, rather than dig in, even though probably I want to spend time. And I, I think it's an attempt to make the loss less. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I would characterise myself when I was a child for the most part as a compliant adoptee. Um, externally, at least, there was a lot going on underneath the surface. What can you tell us about how the impacts of adoption might be observed in an adopted child's behaviour? Well, I think in my book, I suggested that you either do one or the other. You either become quite compliant or not, yeah. <laughs> or else you act out, you know. Um, now, not everybody's to, to extremes in that way, mm. but I think there's a tendency to be the good, good, good little kid, you know, yeah. and there's maybe a fear behind that, that if I'm not a good little kid, maybe something's going to happen with this relationship. And with the other, with the ones that act out, it's almost as if they're daring, daring their parents to keep them, you know, or I'll just, I'll just get this over with, you know, mm. If they're going to leave me, I'll just get it over with. Yeah. But, um, but those, when it, it was interesting because when I did my original research <clears throat> in talking to adoptees, it seemed like they were one or the other, you know, and um, or they could describe themselves. Maybe other people didn't notice it. Yeah. But they, they described themselves or the compliant ones or the defiant ones. Yes. Yeah. So that defiance, what might that look like? Oh, just always arguing over things, yeah. need, needing to be in control mm -hmm. with one of them, needing to be in control. So if, if, you, if somebody wanted you to do something and you just decided you didn't want to do it, then you fought against that. Where the compliant child would make sure that they did it because they wanted to be you know, sure that they were going to stay in that family. That wasn't a thought. It was just a, a real uh, belief. Yes, yeah, yeah. So what would you say are the core issues of adoption then? Well, the main one is loss. Yeah. The loss of the mother, the loss of the child. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I guess for adoptive parents that don't have any biological children, the loss of their biological connection. Yeah. <clears throat> so loss is, is right up there. Um, as far as, and the way, the way that the child adapts to that loss, whether it's the compliant one or the defiant one, will, will send them in a direction that's going to make it hard for them in different ways. Mm -hmm. Because the one that's defiant is going to just want to do the opposite of everything that they're told to do because they want to be in control. Yeah. And the one that's compliant is always fighting against that urge to, to want to do something different, mm -hmm. but being afraid to do it, you know? I mean, if they do want to do something different. Mm -hmm. So and both if, of those are really subversing, like, or stamping down their identity, isn't it? Because they're, they're not really being true to who they are because they're always taking action against, I guess. Well, the thing is, and, and, and part of this has to do with just knowing, I mean, when, you're, when, you're, when you have an adopted child, you have to figure them out. Mm. Whereas your biological child, there's a lot you know about them just because they're like you, mm -hmm. you know, or your husband or whatever, you know, somebody in the family. 
And the child is the same way. The adopted child has to figure out the parent. I mean, you can you can have a child that's so different personality-wise. And I think those personalities, all those kinds of things are pretty much part of the DNA or the genetic uh, tendencies mm-hmm. of a child, of a person. Yeah. I think that, the, I mean, people can cover them over and try to adjust to and that kind of thing. But I think that the personalities are very much um, in the biological connection or the genetic uh, overview of the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I mean, my two kids, one's adopted, one is not. And they're very different. Their personalities are very, very different. And, and I know that people say, well, yeah, but we're all, we're all biological in our family and we're all different, but it's a little kind of different, different. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you know, you know, <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, I actually remember, and I think it was in the primal wind, you had a, um, an exercise that, because identity is something I definitely struggled with, who I was, because you know, I had three siblings who were all biological children of my adoptive parents. And so there was no hall of mirrors at all for me. And I really struggled to figure out who I was. And, and it's probably still a work in progress, to be honest. But you had a, um, an exercise where you were asking a lot of different questions that an adoptive person might be able to start to fill in um you know what is your favorite color what kind of music do you like what kind of and and really building on and thinking very hard and specifically and in, in, in detail what it is that you're about who you are that's right yeah is that something that you um did with your clients over the years giving them exercises yes yes like that? because um you know trying to find out if they're paying attention to what's inside them Mm-hmm. who the person is. I think in my second book, I talked about that quite a bit about the person that you try to be in this family and the person that you may be really, yes. you know, and, and how do you allow that person out? Yes. You know, yes. how do you let her out and become who she really is? Mm-hmm. And how do you even let yourself know sometimes? Because it depends on the person. Some of them yeah. are very sure that they know that they're not anything like the rest of the family. Yeah. And others think, well, maybe that's not okay for me not to be like the rest of the family, mm-hmm. but it is okay. You know, it absolutely is yeah. because I, I think a lot more is genetic than we like to admit. We like to think, you know, the nature versus na- nurture kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, both are important, but I think nature really, I really give more emphasis to nature. Yeah. If you really want to know who you are and you really want to follow the kind of uh, life you want to live and that kind of thing <clears throat> that you need to find out, okay, what is it? Who am I? You know, what, what is it I really like and what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, I think it's a question everybody needs to ask themselves, but maybe especially people that weren't born into a family. Yeah. So I'm just looking at the list of the core issues of adoption that you mentioned in your book. And we've sort of talked about abandonment and loss, um, rejection, trust, um, and intimacy, uh, power, control, and identity. So I guess the the three that I'm seeing that we maybe haven't touched on yet were loyalty, guilt, and shame. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us a little about those? Well, yeah, because loyalty has to, has to do with how the child feels toward the adoptive parents mm-hmm. because they need to feel loyal to those parents, um, at least when they're young and, and have, you know, have to be in, con- in their control. Yeah. And so, so that loyalty is something that is kind of expected, I guess, from, by the parents as well as the child. Um, however, as they, get, as they get older and become more like themselves and not just you know, fitting into the family the way they think they're supposed to, um, <clears throat> they can be more, more themselves. And, and, if they're, and, and the family can, can deal with that too because they don't have to have children that are all compliant or whatever, you know, or, or like them. In fact, you know, some people will say, well, I'm not at all like my parents. But, you know, if you know them and you see them, you know that they're more like their parents than they like to admit sometimes. <laughs> sometimes but, it's uh, a thing that you don't like is what you see, is it? which is why you reject <laughs> the likeness. <laughs> right, right. So anyway, um, so uh, let's see what you say. Um, so guilt and shame are the other two. Oh, guilt and shame. Well, guilt and shame are two different things. Mm-hmm. Guilt has to do with things you do. And that you feel guilty about. Mm-hmm. And shame has to do with who you are. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes the who you are part gets in the way with adoptees who aren't, you know, that aren't like their, their family. Because they think they should be more like the family and they're not. So they feel ashamed because they have different ideas and, and different goals in life and all this kind of thing than their family wants for them. And so they feel guilty about that. Yeah. But the shame has to do with how they feel about themselves. Mm-hmm. And if they, if it's okay for them to be different, if it's okay for them, you know, a lot of that has to do with how other people are treating them as well. Yeah. Because if it's okay in their family for them to want to be, um, you know, go horseback riding when everybody else doesn't, doesn't like horses or something, you know, I mean, it depends on, the um, acceptance, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. But, but guilt and shame are, have to do with what you do. You can feel guilty about things you do yeah. or not. And you can feel shame for who you are. And I think, that's, I think that's too bad to feel shame for who you are. And that's why it's important for adoptive families, parents, to not you know, not shame their kids, not make them feel ashamed. Yeah. So anyway. I could talk about the primal wound with you forever, Nancy. Um, however, we're nearly out of time for episode one. So before we move into um, your second book for episode two, okay. I just have two more questions for you um, today. Okay. So in the preface of The Primal Wound, you write that the only people who can really judge this work are those about whom it is written, the adoptees themselves. Only they, as they note their responses to what is written here, will really know in their deepest selves the validity of this work, the existence or non-existence of The Primal Wound. So almost three decades have passed since you first published The Primal Wound. Can I ask you what that judgment was? What have you heard back from adopted people? Well, the main thing that I heard was that they were glad that somebody 
somebody said what they were feeling, that they had these feelings all their lives, felt guilty about a lot of their feelings um, because they weren't just like the rest of the family and that kind of thing. And, And when they read the book, they said, a lot of them said, well, you put into words what I was feeling. And it made me feel justified in what I was feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get a lot of negative uh, feedback from adoptees. I get lots of lots of people who say thank you for saying things that we didn't we couldn't say or you know didn't have permission to say or whatever. Um, I'm not sure all adoptive parents liked it. Um, you know, <clears throat> although I think I think now today, like it's been, as you say, quite a long time since uh, the book was written. It's still selling like hotcakes, by the way. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> I finally gave up trying to send them out myself, and I let I, I let them do print on demand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because I am definitely one of those people who would want to thank you for it because it was it was my first book I picked up about adoption and it's probably a lot of people's first book here at Jigsaw Queensland. It would definitely be one of the ones that we recommend first and we have it in our library to loan people. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just the start. And like you said, it was permission. It was acknowledgement um, of something and it challenged me too because like I said I didn't necessarily um, agree or believe I maybe believe some of the things about myself to start but it just got those got things ticking and Mm -hmm. it it made me explore more and then the more I explored the more I realized so um, I'm definitely one of those ones who's very grateful the fact that you that you wrote that book well thank you I appreciate you saying so yeah yeah I guess yeah go on I was just going to say I think I think it needs to be said by somebody the things that people are feeling and and experiencing you know and and I guess a lot of people said well you know you wrote that book but you weren't adopted but you know I had an adopted daughter and and I really paid attention to her you know and, um, and I made sure she met her birth mom for sure. And, uh, and that kind of thing. But, you know, I just think that when people read something and it, and it rings true, you know, they feel such a sense of relief because a lot of times it just seems like it's not okay for me to feel this way. I'm supposed to be, you know, I'm supposed to be, you know, we're supposed to be doing and um, no, you need to pay attention to what's going on inside. Yeah. So um, I guess, sorry, go on. And I was just going to say, and having someone who isn't adopted say it, I mean, I, I got a lot of people who said, how did you know? <laughs> <laughs> how did you know that's how we feel? <laughs> I'm so glad that you're curious. I mean, I can't help but think of my own experience. I think if someone had been curious about my experience and worked with me on it when I was a child, it, it would have made a really big difference in my mm-hmm. life. So I, I'm so glad that you were curious. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it's very important that, you know, anybody who's going to adopt a child might want to read it too, because just so they'll be open to whatever it is their child 
conveys to them so that the child feels safe. Mm -hmm. Safety is one of the things that they talk about a lot Yeah, in their adopted, adopted people and their adoptive families. Yeah. So my final question then for this episode is whether on reflection you would change anything about the book. Um, let's see. I don't know that I would change anything in particular. I think it's very important for us to know to know that we that that when we're related to somebody, there's a, there's a special connection there. And um, and I think it's that's why I I really believe that all adoptees and all birth mothers, they all should find each other and, and be connected because that's somebody you're related to. Yeah. And I think, it's, I think everyone in this world has a right to know who they're related to, mm-hmm. you know, because that's different from just being a member of the family and not being related. And um, it doesn't mean that you don't love your family. It doesn't at all. It just means that you know, you're living in a, you're living with a group of strangers as far as your genetics or your, you know, your genetics are concerned. Yeah. And it might be kind of nice to see somebody that, that you'll recognize something in, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I just think everybody has the right to know that. So that's why I, I think that anybody who wants to search, they should be able to search. Yeah. Okay. Look, we'll leave it there for today's episode. And okay. In- in part two of our discussion with Nancy Verrier, we'll be talking about her sequel to The Primal Wound, um, which is Coming Home to Self, The Adopted Child Grows Up. And Coming Home to Self is a book about becoming aware and moving towards healing. It is written for all members of the adoption triad, adoptees, birth parents and adoptive parents, as well as those who are in relationships with them, including professionals. It explains adoption's influence on the neurological system and thus on future functioning. It also explores how false beliefs create fear and perpetuate being ruled by the wounded child. It is a book which helps adoptees discover their authentic selves after living without seeing themselves reflected all their lives. So um, in short, I think it's kind of like a map leading to a place of healing. And I look forward to talking to you more in the next episode, Nancy. Okay. Uh, So I recommend that you read both of Nancy's books if you haven't already, and I'll put up links to both on the episode notes page. And of course, we have copies to borrow in the Jigsaw Queensland Library if you are a Jigsaw member. You can also listen to the Reckoning with the Primal Wound interview with Rebecca Autumn Sampson that went live on the 6th of October 2021. And this episode is about Rebecca's documentary about Nancy and the Primal Wound and Rebecca's own personal story. Meanwhile, do you have a story that you'd like to share with us? If you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the perspective guest form that you'll find there. And note that Adopt Perspective can be listened to by people all over the world. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 21 03 
0713. Or you can call Jigsaw on 07 If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Jo Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Thank you.